Well, good morning, everyone. There wasn't a lot of enthusiasm in that one. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Okay, there we go. All right. And welcome to you and to those who might be in the patio and also those online. So it's good to be together. Uh, My name is Greg Donnelly. I'm one of the staff pastors here. My particular area is uh, working with the 65 and above. I mean, that sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? But uh, that's the group I work with. They're, they're a good group of people, and, and uh, I love working with them. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Trinity started this about 10 weeks ago or so, and we're following through. Today, we're in chapter 7, and we're going to be talking about don't judge others. If you know nothing else, that's what we're going to be talking about today, so focus on that for this morning. But it's talking about the principles and the values that, that followers of Christ are to exhibit in this life. So this isn't some future event, but it's for now. It's for how we are to be uh, with the people around us. And today, we're specifically going to be talking about how to treat other people. So I want you to think of yourself as like a private investigator. You know, you're asking all these questions. What about this? How did this happen? Where is this at? All those kind of things. So think of these three, three questions that I put together. First of all, why is Jesus so adamant about not judging others? Secondly, then ask the how question. How is it possible then to judge properly? Is it possible to judge properly? And the third question is then, what do I have to do to make sure I overcome any kind of a, of a judgmental spirit? So are you with me? Once again, no enthusiasm here, so we're going to work on that during this, during this message here. Okay, so the why, the how, and the what. All right, but let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the Word of God, and thank you that we can come together just to to help each other walk as we should. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would use me as a simple uh, communication piece to communicate what you want for all of us. And thank you that as I work on this myself, there's a lot of rough edges I have. And, and so as we work together, I just pray that we'll not just uh, learn something here, but we'll live what we learn. So bless this time together, we pray now in your name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, if you have your Bible with you, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. The verse will be, verses will be on the, on the screen too, but <clears throat> sometimes when you see them, you can mark your Bible and different things and, and learn together like this. Okay, so Matthew chapter 7, and this is starting in verse 1, just the first six verses. So it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your 
pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now that sounds like a motivating verse, doesn't that last verse? Dogs and pigs and trampling. Anyway, so let's go with the first question though. Why is it that Jesus is emphatic about not judging others. Why? Well, some things I put together. First of all, when we, when we judge others, oftentimes we do it very, very quickly. And you know how, how uh, we can just uh, jump to conclusions. It's very easy to do that. Now, I'll give an example of myself. I'm going to date myself now. 40 years ago, 40 years ago, I was watching the U.S. Open, the Tennis Open. And <clears throat> watching that, it was John McEnroe, remember? Okay, memory lane here, Mo. Now, just go down back a little bit here. John McEnroe, and he was playing uh, Beyond Borg for the championship, basically, of the world. Just tremendous players. He's from Sweden. Anyway, so they play. McEnroe wins. And so after the, after the tennis uh, set, they go downstairs take their showers, then they were going to come up and then hear the, get the rewards for winning number one and number two uh, tennis, basically, in the world. Anyway, so, so they go down, and, and the, the sportscasters are talking, and then finally McEnroe comes back, and no, beyond Borg. And it's like, uh, where is Mr. Borg? And, and uh, everybody's waiting around, waiting around, and then uh, Mr. Borg will not be coming. That's all that was said. And everybody kind of like... Ah, oh, come on. You know, and here I am watching TV, and I'm sitting there thinking, what a spoiled brat. He just gets to be second best player in the world, but he doesn't want to be second. He wants to be first. So he's not going to. Anyway, I was just reaming him out of my mind. Well, the next morning in the sports page, it said this. McEnroe won, and then afterwards, there was, there was a de- they found a death threat against Beyond Borg. I don't know what reason, but anyway, the death threat, the police said, this is a viable death threat, and we are not going to let him out of the locker room. So they told security, don't let him out of the locker room until much later in the day. So he never came up. So people like myself are kind of like, well, who does he think he is? You know, that stuff. Have you ever done that before? Okay, then you read about it, you go, well, I kind of understand now. It sounds kind of logical to stay where you were. But those are things that we do. We rush to judgment. We jump. We aren't supposed to do that. Here's another thing. We can become very harsh in our judgment, too. We're not always as privileged to be able to read the sports page and get corrected. But a couple verses here. Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says, A gentle answer. Gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And you know, you ever, you ever um, talked with someone and you know you thought you were just things were going well, and all of a sudden they said something that was just really harsh, nasty at you, and then it's like, what did I? How come? And then, and, but when you have a harsh word at you, what happens then? It become it just kind of boomerangs out. Things get more harsh. Proverbs 12, 18 says that 
Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So if somebody says something harsh and then becomes more harsh and reckless in your words, and let me give an example of a reckless word. You know the story of Job. So you got Job in the Old Testament, and what happened was uh, Job was um, stripped of his belongings. His kid, he had ten children. They were all killed, and and uh, servants were killed, and servants were taken away. Just on and on. And then he got then he got a bunch of rashes or zits or something. Anyway, it was just really bad, and and so his friends heard about things, the troubles of Job. So they come and see him, and they stand, they, they look at him and they go, man, that's Job. And then they just sat there for seven days and didn't say a word. Now, have you ever done that before with someone? I haven't either. <laughs> seven days not saying a word. I mean, they look so bad, it's like, I don't want to say anything. It looks terrible. But uh, anyway, after seven days, then they begin to talk. And Eliphaz is the first one. He says, now Job this, and da 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 And then Job kind of responds and says, well, but let me bring this point in. And then Bildad gets up to speak. Bildad, friend number two, gets up there. And he says something like this in chapter 8, verse 4, if you want to look it up. But he says this, does God pervert justice? Are you saying that God perverts justice? He doesn't. And then in verse 4, it says this, it says, when your children, when your ten children sinned against God, God gave them over to the, to the um, penalty of their sin. So what he's saying is, your ten kids deserved to die. You talk about harsh words. That's extremely harsh. All right, so why is the Lord saying, don't judge others. What's the first reason why? Because we were going to, we, we would be, well, that's true too. That's true from the verse. Okay. <laughs> Better than my point. Okay. So anyway, my point is this, don't be hasty in it. Because so often it's you jump to conclusions and you jump wrong. Second thing is we can become so harsh. We have no mercy on people a lot of times when we're putting them down. And the last thing is that, that uh, we become very ritual in this. Ritualistic, it just becomes a routine. It's just, yeah, that person, oh, I know about that person. Ooh, let me tell you about that person. And, and we just do those things. Uh, let me just read from uh, Luke chapter 18 here just for a moment. It'll be on the screen, I think. I think not. Okay, Luke chapter 18. Anyway, it's a parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So the writer writes this, sets it up for Jesus to speak the parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus then told this parable. What do you say about someone who is is confident of their own self-righteousness. What do you call them? Just self-righteous. Just self-righteous. Do you like being around self-righteous people? You can say it. No. Okay, over here. Somebody, no. Good for you to say no. 
I don't like them either. They're just, uh, they look down on everybody else. So here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you know tax collectors in the, in the New Testament are what? Yeah, scumbags or something. Yeah, bad. Okay. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Oh, God. I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This man, this tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, now, quiz time again. Why does Jesus say, don't judge others? I'll give you a hint, three H's. Okay, what's the first H? Because you will act in haste, okay? Okay, secondly, because you will be harsh. And the last one is, you do this enough, it becomes a habit. It's a habitual. Okay, don't do it. And then Jesus asked the question here. He says, why do you look at Look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, now I just, just happen to have a piece of wood up here. And it just happens to fit into what I'm trying to say here. So, All right, so what if somebody did this to you? Hey, buddy, with my one good eye, I can see you got a speck of sawdust in your eye. Hold still. I think I'm getting closer. Don't, no, don't move, don't move, don't move. I think I got it. There. Okay. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? Okay. All right. Just... <laughs> All right. So that's the, those are the words of the Jesus telling the story there. In his sermon, he might have used something different than this, but, but the idea is, look at Look at me. No, don't look at me. Look at you. And you know, on and on. Take care of your own own. Romans chapter 14. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from this. Accept him, this is verse 1, accept him who is weak, whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, disputable matters are things that, 
that really don't matter that much. I mean, they're talking about, you know, sacrificing or eating food that's been sacrificed to, to gods and those kind of things. And some were very sensitive to it. Others said, hang it, I'm just going to eat the food. It looks good to me. I'm going to eat it. It doesn't bother them. And some had bothered a lot, but it was disputable matters. And some of the things that come up, anyway, here's, for example, it says, one man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? So Paul's writing to the Romans about this. They had that issue too. They would say, well, I don't do this, and they do this. I'm better than they are, and why do they, you know, on and on. No, no. Verse 10 in Romans chapter 14, it says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that. All right, so what's the second question now? How? How is it, if we're not supposed to judge, it says don't judge, how can we do it and do it the right way? How is it possible to judge? All right, just, I'll read it, just uh, one example. John chapter 7, Jesus is talking uh, to a group of people, and they had... Um, circumcised a baby on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, well, listen, if they can circumcise a baby on the Sabbath day, why do you find fault with me if I heal someone on the Sabbath day? And then Jesus says, quit making mere judgment on mere appearances. Learn to judge rightly. In other words, there is a right way to judge. There's a right, right, right way to discern. Now, for example, if Jesus has said, don't judge anything, no judging whatsoever, he would have contradicted himself because even in this verse, or in this chapter, chapter 7, if you go down to verse uh, 15, he says this. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So we're talking discernment. Discernment is judging properly. Are you with me? Okay, okay. All right. Now, Unconditional love is what we are to have for people. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Okay, unconditional love is a yes, but not the unconditional approval of everything. You don't have to approve everything. But the unconditional love is yes. Now, I want you to think of three words. Truth, respect, humility. Truth, respect, humility. Years ago when I pastored in a church in Fridley, uh, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis, kind of the north suburb there, I was able to bring in a pastor that I heard about that was very good. He was working in Detroit. He was very good working with Muslims. 
Now, he had his own church, but he would like to do evangelism, and, and a lot of Muslims were in that area. And Detroit has a lot of Muslims. If you read about Detroit, sometimes the police don't even go into some of those sections. It's just all Muslim. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but Keith Ellison, you've heard that name, Keith Ellison? Okay, he's, a, he's our attorney general. Okay, he used to be, at one time before that job, he was a congressman, representative of Minnesota in Washington, D.C., first Muslim congressman, I think it was. Anyway, he grew up in Detroit, and his dad was an atheist, and the home was an atheistic home. And so Keith became a Muslim, and his, his brother became a Baptist minister who has a church in Detroit. That's just a little sideline. It's nothing to do with what I'm talking about here. It's just, I thought it was interesting. Apparently you didn't, but I do. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, in Detroit, I heard about this pastor that was doing a really good job with, with uh, the Muslim world. So I was able to bring him down to the, to the church I was serving. And he was an interesting guy. Uh, what he did, he went into the Muslim sector. He went into a mosque and, and uh, just kind of knocked on the door and asked for the imam, the guy who was in charge of the mosque. And he introduced himself. He said, I'm pastor, da, da, da. And uh, your name is? And, and so they got talking. And then he said, he said, well, let's just be honest with each other. It's just the two of us talking. Let's be honest. You're a Muslim imam. And you want to convert me to the Islamic faith. And I'm a Christian pastor, and I want to convert you to the Christian faith. Did I say that wrong? No, I said, yeah. I want to convert you to the Islamic faith, and I want to convert now as a pastor, I want to convert you to become a Christian. So they had a good understanding of each other. Now, he spoke truth to him all the time. When they get together, he would always speak biblical truth. He stuck with the truth, even, even though he did not agree with the belief in, in Muhammad and all the, the stuff and different things about the Islamic faith. Now, question for you. Can you respect someone who you disagree with? Yeah, I think you're nodding the yes. Yes, you can. It's true. You can and you should respect that person. Now, he's, like I said, he kept to the, the basics that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So he stayed with that, but he continued talking, and they had their, their friendship, their lunches together, that kind of stuff, but they knew where they stood. Okay, how do we discern well? How do we discern as God wants us to make judgment, good judgments, right judgments? We stick with the truth. You know, society is always changing. You can look at a history book and you can say, ah, those people are back, that was back in the 40s, or that was back in the 20s, or that was 60s. You can see, you know, all the different changes of clothing. Things change in, in society. Cultures change and all this stuff. But the Word of God does what? Not change. So stay with truth. All right, so you got truth, and then respect. We need to be respectful. Do you think God gives us permission? We who are part of the family of God. Does God give us permission to disrespect other people? All right, you're 
sort of participatory, not, not a lot of activity, but there's a little bit here. So, no, no, God does not give us, given us permission to be disrespectful to other people. Because you don't reach in that way. If they pick up that we really have a disdain for them, for what they believe in themselves, it's, you know, everything's off then. You just, you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to penetrate. God has not given us permission to hate people that think differently than we think, who vote differently than we vote, who, who wear different clothes than we wear, you know, all those kind of things. He doesn't give us permission to do that. Listen to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. How do we answer people? With the truth, respectfully, but also with humility. First Peter says this, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Always be ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have, and do it with respect, and gentleness. Be humble about it. You don't have to knock people over getting your point made. And I've always said you, can, you should be able to make a point without making an enemy. If you do it right, even if they don't like the message, they, they at least will respect you. Do the same for them. That's part of the golden rule, isn't it? That's Matthew 7, verse 12. We want to be treated the same way. All right, so the last question we're moving into is this. How, or excuse me, what? What do we do? What do we do to overcome a judgmental spirit? And isn't it really easy to have a judgmental spirit? Well, the first two crowds said, yes, it, it is. Okay, all right, all right, okay. You're a little more righteous than the rest of them, but... Uh, <laughs> but I'm judging now, so i got to stop that. Okay, okay. Forget what I said there. All right. So, what can we do to overcome a, a judgmental spirit? Well, let's read that last verse. Verse 6. Here it says, do not, give, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Okay, so... It's saying, look, you got sacred stuff here, but, you know, you can't jam this down people's throat. You just can't do that. Now, I'm not for giving up on people. They mean they can't stop you from praying for them. But, but sometimes you have to say, okay, i got to withdraw because they don't want to hear it. You can speak the truth. You can speak respectfully. You can speak with humility. And they can still say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And you know, if you think about it, some of you were dogs previous. Some of you were pigs. I was both. I didn't like those people who were the born-again people. Remember when Jimmy Carter came 
and was running for president back in 1976. Uh, at that time, he'd been a common Christian. But before that, he announced in 1974 that he was, he was a candidate for president of the United States. And so for years, it was Jimmy Carter, born again president to be and that kind of stuff. And, and then Charles Colson, remember Chuck Colson? Uh, he, was a, he was a hatchet man for President Nixon. And he wrote a book, and guess the name of his book was? Born Again. You know, you just hear it all the time. Born Again, Born Again, Born Again. Anyway, I just got so disgusted with that. But uh, I was a dog. I was, I was a pig. But what has happened is this. When it says, when it says about living your life in front of others, it says this, live such good lives among, among the people that don't have the Lord, Live such good lives among them that though they accuse you of doing wrong, live in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day God visits you. Now you're wondering, visits? What, is, what do you mean God visits? Well, that's what it says, God visits. And it means this, one of two. It might be God visits in judgment when a person has no chance to, make, to change where they're at. The, the, the judgment. And so they realize these men and women who were talking to me about spiritual things, they were right. That's a visit, visitation. But on the other hand, it can be like it happened to me and maybe it probably happened to you too, is that you realize that these people were right. And what they do and live in their life is right. And you're the one that's been on the wrong road. And so you get on the right road and now you're you're like me, you know, you're talking to people who are dogs and pigs, you know, that don't understand this stuff or don't want to understand it, but you just keep doing it. I mean, unless they're saying back off, back off. And so don't throw stuff to the dogs and stuff that's sacred uh, to pigs. All right. How do we learn this? All right. Let's just uh, put this together here now. First of all, how do we learn not to be judgmental? First of all, First of all, learn to smile. Okay, now this might sound real elementary, 2 plus 2 is 4. I'm like, oh, wow, wow, you know. Okay, but, but here we are. Learn to smile. Because sometimes you come across to people who, who think you are really nasty. And then you think they're nasty and back and forth. Just learn to smile. That's all you got to do. Learn to smile, okay? Just try it once. <laughs> yeah, it's working. It's working. I feel better now already. Okay, it's working. All right. All right. Learn to smile. Learn to smile. Secondly, what did we learn about don't judge because it's, it can be harsh and it can be habit and also can be where it's done so hastily. Third thing is this. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit. Have you ever tried to be the Holy Spirit? Okay, now don't elbow each other. Don't do that. But uh, if we try to be the Holy Spirit, it, it's not going to work. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to control us, then we can impact the lives around us and honor the Lord at the same time. Now, I'm going to read something here. Once again, this dates me, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, this is from Ann Landers. whose sister was Dear Abby. All right, the two Jewish 
uh, columnists, but they were well-known worldwide. And uh, here's one. This is written, I thought it was worthwhile reading. So this lady wrote to Ann Landers, and here's what she said. She said, I just read the letter about the mother who refrained from making any negative comments about her daughter for one month. She then described how miraculous their relationship became and how it so improved. All right, now I'm going to go into one about marriage and about her. But I want you to think here. You know, if you're, if you're married and you're just kind of, it's kind of dry, kind of like eating shredded wheats in the desert, you know, just kind of, you know, in the sun, it's just, uh, you know, no milk, <laughs> just dry. All right, so if, you're, if your marriage is just dry and, you know, when your husband goes off to work, it's praise God. And the husband's driving away saying, praise God, I'm away from her. You know, that kind of stuff. Okay, that's dry, right? Okay, you get it. All right. So I want you to think about that. But in all seriousness, it's not much fun being married to someone you don't really like. All right. So listen very carefully. Okay, the woman's writing this now. She said, oh, it reminded me of this. Several years ago, she said, several years ago, I tried the same experiment with my husband. I had reached the point where I could barely tolerate being around him. And I'm quite certain he felt the same about me because I never failed to give him what I thought. And it was never a compliment. I considered divorce long and hard, but knew I once had really loved him. And we did have children together. So I decided to give this 30-day experiment and that it was worth the effort. For the next month, I did not utter a single negative word to my husband. I thought at times that I would explode from holding this in, but I survived. I repeated that experiment for a second month, and it was a little bit easier. I lost my temper only once, at the end of the third month, I actually was looking forward to my husband coming home from work. Six months after I began the experiment, our relationship had turned around completely. By biting my tongue, I gave him the freedom to grow. Delivering advice in a disgusted tone was tearing him down. It was not helping him. Today, when he needs a piece of my mind, I let him have it, but only because I quit giving him all my mind when I get angry. And so he, as a result, he really listens and shapes up. I was saying it's kind of funny how she writes that. He really shapes up then. I would have missed out on the incredible life I now have with my husband if I hadn't tried this 30-day experiment. And then she signed the letter this way, mad about him, not mad at him. All right, I don't know who's with me on this one, but uh, it may be worth it to try it. If you think you're in that shredded wheat, dry situation in your marriage or in your relationship with your daughter or son growing up, whatever. 
teenage, wherever it's at. But, but something we can learn. And we talk about bad-mouthing people. We can bad-mouth our own kids. We can bad-mouth whoever and think bad about them. So what do we do? Well, as I mentioned, you smile. You don't have to walk around all the time. You don't have to do that. But you know what I'm talking about. Smile, smile. And then remember, we talk here about the haste and those kind of things as far as judging people. And just see what happens. If you're married to someone who you've always been roaring at, what can happen if you bite your own tongue and begin to try this? And it's worth it. It is worth it. Let me just close with a word of prayer, and then we're going to have a closing song, and then, and then we'll close. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for any marriage which may be on the edge. It's not going well, and there's just a lot of fighting in the home. No one sees it except, except the two of them, or maybe the kids are, are seeing some of this. But, but Lord God, I just want to pray that that we would understand about how we just are not to judge people. Our spouse is not our enemy. It's the evil one who is our enemy. And God, I just pray for relationships, however they're pieced together, that they would become better. And Lord, do in us, Lord, so that we might become the people you want us to become. Help us just take those three words and say, I'm not going to do that. And, and just say, don't judge others and live that way. Teach us, O oh God, to live the kingdom way. But thank you for this time and thank you for these words from, from your sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>